Happy Easter. Happy Easter. You don't see this much. The year was 1932. The setting was Wrigley Field. Game three of the World Series, the Cubs and the Yankees are going at it. It had become a testy competition. The dugouts, the crowds, they were jeering at one another. Babe Ruth steps up to the plate and quickly gains two strikes. Now, what is about to take place has been in baseball folklore and history widely debated. But for those baseball purists like myself, we like to call what Babe Ruth was about to do was calling his shot. And we understand in baseball history, this was the first time this had ever been done. After two strikes, crowd is in an uproar. He gestures with his right hand out to center field. Now, some who are not purists want to argue that he was just trying to get the crowd to hush. He had two fingers up, as if to say, it's only two, it's only two. But what took place on the very next pitch and the very next swing was the ball went over center field precisely where he had been pointing. And Babe Ruth, for all the baseball purists in the room, called his shot. But I got to tell you this morning, the reason we are here is because some 2,000 years before Babe Ruth stepped foot in Wrigley Field, Jesus called his shot. And he, hold on, some 2,000 years before some baseball player that we have allowed to be legendary stepped into Wrigley Field, Jesus called his shot. Matthew 12, he said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. I'm going to go into the belly of the earth for three days, and three days later, I will raise. Jesus always came to die. As we were celebrating last week his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem at that time, we need to understand that they were celebrating larger than Israel ever had in their past. The city is swelling with anticipation. The crowd is swelling as people have anticipated and see because they knew it was prophesied. The Messiah would always come on a Passover. Could this be their king? With shouts of Hosanna laying down palm fronds at his feet, he enters in, knowing and being the only one who would know how the week would end. Those jeers of Hosanna, those cheers for praise would turn to jeers of crucify him by the end of the week. Jesus had been telling them his entire ministry, specifically here towards the end, I have to die. I can't allow you to live unless I die. He wanted to redeem all of mankind to the Father. He wanted us to know a love that was everlasting and unconditional. In John 14, 6 and 7, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you really know the Father as well. So, as we come to Easter morning, as we come to this day where we commemorate the empty tomb, this morning I'm reminded that once again, 
Jesus' resurrection is not just an awesome story in the Bible. It is the story. Amen? It's the story that the entire Bible is centered around. All of the Old Testament anticipated all the New Testament church is built upon it. Without this moment, recorded in all four Gospels, the Bible, our faith, and our very faith practices mean little. They'd be empty. Amen? But because of this moment for the life of the believer, because of this moment, all of Christianity hangs. And because of this moment, I've entitled today's sermon on Easter, In Jesus, Empty Means Full. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be today, and if you want, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to go ahead and work backwards through this passage, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of synopsis for the sake of time. The end of Matthew 28, we see Jesus say these words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples after he's raised from the dead and that tomb has been found empty. He comes upon them and he gives them a mandate. He says, go tell people the news, the good news that I have risen. Go tell them the truth that because I died, they don't have to. And so he says the tomb is empty. And because of that tomb being empty, he says two words that we have a tendency to breeze over in the Great Commission. But I think they are the two most important words. All authority. All authority has been given to me because I made everything and I have now paid for everything. How many of you know that as humans, we like authority? We like authority. How many of you know, look, how many of you have a spouse who likes authority? How many of you have a parent who likes authority? Here's the reality. We like authority. It was our problem in the garden. It's our problem today. It's the center point of most, and if not all, of your conflict with other people. But all authority. All authority has been given to me on the heavens and in the earth because Jesus defeated death. He took sin upon himself and that sin was swallowed up alongside his entrance into the grave for you, for me, for those who are present at his crucifixion and for all who had come before him. God poured out on Jesus the sin of the world and Jesus Jesus rose three days later to free us from it. So our first point today is this. It is only just that God would love us unconditionally, but it is only just that if we, Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we have a penalty for that. We have a punishment. The emptied fury upon Jesus means full pardon for us. What this means is this, the emptied fury of God upon Jesus means there's no fury or wrath of God that remains for us as children. We are completely free. Is that good news? For those who trust in Jesus for salvation, we are completely free. Now, I want to take you to a picture in uh, John 19. In John 19, just you don't have to turn there, just listen. Pilate is standing with Jesus before a mob, before a crowd that is crying, crucify him, put him to death. 
He's blasphemous, let's kill him. They even free a known uh, murderer in his place. But he's standing there and Pilate finds no fault in him. He even stands before them hoping that he doesn't have to put an innocent man to death, that the, innocent, the blood of this innocent man wouldn't be on his hands. So he orders something in a hope to give reprieve to the crowd, that it would finally maybe, maybe help fix their insatiable desire to see this man die. So he orders Jesus be taken off to the praetorium and in the praetorium be beaten and flogged there in the presence of Roman guards, master executioners with the cat of nine tails, his flesh literally ripped from his body. Now this picture is actually really familiar. In Leviticus 16, it says that law required bloodshed for atonement and sin. In fact, if you go back and reread uh, the law, Leviticus 16, not only is bloodshed required, the way it happened on the annual day of atonement, this is for one day, for one year, reprieve from sin and sin penalty. So the people count on the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies. He has to go through an entire purification ritual just to pay for the people. If there's any sin in it within him, he'd be struck there in the presence of God. If he hadn't walked through this purely into the law, letter of the law. And so he goes in to offer sin sacrifice for the people. And he takes with him two goats. He walks in and he has one goat that is going to be there as a sacrifice. He's going to shed the blood of this goat, sprinkle it upon the Holy of Holies, upon the altar, begging God for atonement for the entire nation of Israel for one year. But there's another goat. And this is what I'm getting to. There's another goat, and that goat reminds me of this picture here in the Praetorium with Jesus. Now, Pilate wouldn't have known the history of Jerusalem, but how many of you know God is sovereign? A Roman of his stature wouldn't have known their practices, but God knew what was needed in order to free the people at this time and you and me in the future. So what would happen is the scapegoat was that second goat's name. It would go into the Holy of Holies tied so that the, the high priest could place his hands upon the goat, transferring the sin of the people upon this goat. And this was often a violent transfer. It was a prayer begging God to place upon the head of this goat all the sin of Israel. And he would beg God to remove their sin, that all their sin could be transferred into this one object in a moment. And when he would release that goat and it would emerge from behind the curtain, he would find that goat. He would find all of Israel waiting, making a tunnel into the wilderness. And they would find hissing and spitting and punching and kicking. Every time those anger bursts of response to this scapegoat, only to send the scapegoat running off into the wilderness, hopefully to never return. Each with each blow, with each hiss, with each sneer, with all the spit, transferring their sin upon the scapegoat. I want you to imagine, they did not want that scape to come, scapegoat to find its way back to Israel. They didn't want this goat that had been chosen for this very moment to start wandering through the marketplace in a few days. There was, in fact, a guy that was assigned to go into the wilderness to make sure that never happened. But can you imagine the picture that Pilate had just assigned going, I just want reprieve from the crowd. He had no idea that he had in turn made Jesus the scapegoat for all humanity. 
for all time. He had no idea what he was doing was changing the trajectory from death to life for all eternity by taking the sin of all humanity and violently transferring it onto Jesus with a cat of nine tails stripped before the people, his flesh ripped open and a cross of thorns on his head. They put a robe back on him and stand it before the people and he goes, are you satisfied? Unfortunately for Pilate, they weren't. Their hatred drove him to the cross and they would not relent. They shouted, crucify him. They demanded the cross. But this, listen, this is fortunate for us because Jesus willingly was born for this moment, to willingly walk through this moment for you and I. It's what makes Good Friday good. It was necessary to fulfill God's plan to redeem all of us. He had to die, and he had to be crucified. Scripture reveals that if there had been any other way to redeem mankind, it would have been chosen, but there wasn't. So your second point is this. Not only was the emptied emptied wrath, the emptied fury upon Jesus give us full pardon, the emptied body of Jesus means full payment for us. The emptied body of Jesus means full payment for us. That means there was no payment that remains for us. Jesus' emptied body is blood shed entirely. Means there is no blood required from or for you and I that remains. Salvation doesn't require that. It has already been taken care of. In Leviticus 16, like I said, the law required bloodshed. And so after that scapegoat would go, the blood would be spilled on the altar by the second goat for the people for one year reprieve. The Hebrews author recounts this very account, and I want you to listen to what he says. He says, the Hebrews author is speaking to the, the, the church in Israel, and he's saying, you need to understand what you know to be true in your past has been affirmed in this practices around the cross and around his resurrection. What you have grown up with, you need to understand it's farther reaching, eternal ramifications. You may have celebrated him coming in at the triumphal entry of Jesus. We may have sung Hosanna, but the truth of the matter is your celebration was short-sighted and quite honestly, it just wasn't big enough. They had no idea that some 2,000 years plus, we'd still be celebrating the empty tomb in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. They had no idea at this moment it meant everything for the world. And so the Hebrews author tells them, he says, look, what you understood was lawfully required, what was necessary, the blood of the goats and the calves, to walk into the holy of holies, a place built by human hands. These were only replicas. These were only temporary. These were only copies. Verse 23, it says, it was necessary then for the copies of these heavenly places, these heavenly things, to be purified with these sacrifices. But, and how many of you love when God throws a B-U-T in the situation? But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices were needed. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again as the high priest would have to come back annually into the most high place every year, offering blood that was not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer for the people of the world Many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once 
once for all at the culmination of all the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27. Just as people are destined to die one time and after that to face judgment. Verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting upon him. Amen? Ephesians 1.7 says this, Paul writes it, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It is finished. It is finished. It has been paid. And so of all the fury of God was poured out on Jesus for you, for me. His blood spilt entirely for you. And for me, in John 19, it accounts this. One commentator said it like this, that, that Jesus could have spilt one drop of his perfect blood, and that would have atoned for the entire world, all of humanity. But at the cross, he was assigned a master executionist who, if he didn't pronounce Jesus dead, and the men with him couldn't be eyewitnesses to pronounce him dead, then their lives were on the line themselves. And it says in verse uh, in John 19, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. What would happen in crucifixion is you died by suffocation. You, couldn't, you could no longer hold yourself up. The rib cage would, drop, would go above the lungs and the lungs would drop beneath and literally be crushed and suffocated. It was the worst way to die that they knew and was reserved for only the most heinous in society at that time. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. They wanted to break the legs of these men who were being hung with him, Jesus included, as to hurry the process because the next day was the celebration of un unleavened bread. It was the celebration of the Passover, so they needed to put the bodies in the grave. Instead, when they found Jesus was dead, one of the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water from him. The man who saw it had given testimony. This is the master, execu master executionist. And his testimony, he says, is true. He knows and he tells the truth. He testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And another says, they will look to the one they have pierced. You know, Matthew 28, in the middle of the passage, you see this really curious statement. Once they start to recognize, after the first 10 verses of Matthew 28, the religious leaders catch word, catch wind, that Jesus' tomb is empty and he's, he's no longer there. There's a lot of people today even who want to argue whether Jesus actually rose or not. In fact, all of Christianity hangs on this one moment. So if it can be disproven, all of Christianity can. There's a couple famous thoughts. One is that Jesus just fell asleep. Now, we just read that the master executionist claimed him dead. And if he didn't claim him dead, he was going to die himself. But this one very famous argument is that he just fell asleep. Well, I want to, I want to paint a picture for the crowd today here in Mount Juliet of what that would look like. Now, he had already been flogged and beaten in the way that he had. His body spilt open before the world. And then... Nailed to a cross, primarily through the wrist, as if to let more blood flow. 
And then the crown of thorns upon his head. When that master executionist comes to him and says, he's dead, we don't need to break his legs, he knew it. And then they take a spear and throw it through his side, ripping the lung and ripping the heart that everything that was liquid inside him flow out. He's completely dry. Everything spilt, every drop spilt for you and for me. Then they prepare him for burial, which meant they would prepare the body with some perfumes and spices, and they would wrap him tightly in a tarin, in a shroud. They would stick him into a, a tomb that you couldn't stand up in, and then they dug a groove for his specifically with a boulder that they rolled in front of it that could not be pushed outward like this. It would have to be rolled away. And then, just to ensure that nothing happened, put two trained killers at the gate, at that tomb, at the stone, just to make sure no one had any funny business. Okay? So if Jesus just fell asleep, can I ask you, if he just fell asleep, then he must be Superman. Because after three days of no food and water and his body completely drit, like nothing left, he in a tomb that he cannot stand up in, unwraps himself, and then a stone that he cannot push forward stands to the side and rolls away and then takes out two trained killers and walks out? So if he just fell asleep, I'll still follow that dude. <laughs> I'll still follow him. But more, more on that here. Matthew 28, it says, um, While the women were on their way, some guards went into the city and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. This report gets to the governor. We will satisfy him and keep him keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money as they did and they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated by the Jews to this very day. The second one was this. Yeah, all the disciples who ran for their lives at the crucifixion, Peter who denied him violently three times, their leader, they just, they just waited until everyone was asleep and then they went, took out two master guards, killers, trained killers, and they stole the body. When Peter couldn't cut off a trained killer's head when that's what he was aiming for in the garden. He just got his ear. Do you really think that story holds up? Do you really think the people who ran for their lives, or do you think that Scripture's revealing exactly how that lie was spread? Amen? So, Jesus paid it all. The fury of God poured out on him, his body completely drained for this moment. Here's why. He died for us on Friday so that he could raise for us on Sunday. The empty tomb of Jesus means full life for us, for you and for me. It means no death remains. In fact, the scriptures reveal when, that for those who are in Christ Jesus, when they die, when their heart stops, they will not taste death. To be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. 
This is the only life that truly exists on the planet, the only one where we can find full, abundant, and eternal life. We read it together today from Matthew 28, verse 1 through 10. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb to look. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, he called a shot. Just like babe saw the ball go over center field, you are looking at an empty tomb like he said you would. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And now I have told you. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, fell down at his, face, worship, fell down at his feet, worshipped him. And they said, do not, he said, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go up to Galilee, and there they will see me, and he will give away the mandate of the Great Commission to go and let others know the good news. See, what we deserved was the punishment for our sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That excludes no one. All. I was under that, you were under that. See, here's the, here's the thing I want to tell you. I... I didn't follow Jesus all my life. It didn't happen until I was 16. But you know what did happen my entire life? This. Even before I knew Jesus, I was doing this. I was putting on my Sunday best. Didn't understand Easter had to do more with him than it did bonnets and bunnies. Lunch with the family afterwards. I would just go to church, walk through the routine, hear a message like this, missing the entire power of the moment. Missing why we were here. Now, I was someone who felt unloved. I felt unlovely. And you know what that, you know what that does? When you're someone who just survives a lot of pain, you know what that does? It teaches you to look out for you. It teaches you to look out for number one. And if no one's going to give you authority, you're going to take authority so you can survive. And I didn't know it, but when they were saying, all have sinned and fallen short, the standard of God and giving him true glory, worshiping him. You were designed to worship him, not yourself. I didn't know they were talking to me. In all the times that I'd been till I was six, I just didn't put that together. And he says, Romans 6, 23, and the wages of sin is death. There has to be a payment. There's gotta be a, a, a contradiction. There has to be something, a consequence for a sin that opposes God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And here's the thing. This story reveals that what happened and put him in the grave on Friday, when he said, I'm going to, I'm going to perform for you a wicked and adulterous generation desires a sign, but I will give you one. And that sign is going to be my best miracle, the one that you've been waiting on. The sign of Jonah. I'm going to go into the belly of the earth even more so. I'm going to go into hell itself and rise with your life in my hands. Here's what, this is what it means to say that 
uh, when we sing, Jesus arose with my freedom in hand, death was arrested and my life began. That's what we're singing. That's what we're talking about. This very picture, this very thought, this very moment in time caused Jesus to sweat drops of blood in the garden. The anguish of the thought of being separate from the Father for the first time in all of history. He was, a, he was in the beginning. He will be in the end. They've never been separate. That's what caused him to go through the highest amount of angst, to where capillaries around the sweat glands burst forth and mix with the sweat and come forth from the head. It's only, only possible humanly when you're under the most high levels of anxiety. But it wasn't, I'm sure, I'm sure everything that we know that surrounds the cross, the flogging, the mocking, the beating, the cross itself, probably wasn't really appealing to human ears because Jesus was 100% man. But knowing that he was 100% God and he came for this moment, he came for this moment right here that all of it could be transferred onto him, that he could go in and he could take the punishment that you and I deserved. Death, separation from him for all time. He took that upon himself so that when the Father looks at us, for those who are in Christ Jesus, guess who he mostly sees? His son. He says the gift of God was eternal life through his son, Jesus. Apart from his work on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, you and I would still be dead, awaiting spiritual death for all time, hell and separation from him because of our sin. But in him, and in him alone, you and I can be truly free. Now for the church, that's good news. And for those today, like myself, who have trusted upon Jesus, and we know it's not about what I've done, we know it's about what he did, we're about to celebrate. We're gonna, the band will come back, and we're going to sing, and we're going to celebrate. But for someone else today, for those of you who are walking in like Easter lilies, just like I was, before 16, it was just going through the rigor that is Easter. Maybe the only time you set foot in a church or you listen to this very message online, I got to tell you, he was emptied so that you could be full. He gave his life so that we could truly live. And there is no life None apart from him. Church, I'm going to ask you to pray because you understand the power of this moment. And you have an ability to celebrate. But there are people in your life and there are people in this room and there are people that are listening that don't know the power of this moment. And they still need forgiveness. They still need new life. They still need to know that someone loved them enough to give himself to take their place. And Romans 10.9 tells us, it is by the goodness of God that we are led to repentance and that repentance to our salvation. It says, if you believe and trust in your heart that Christ rose from the dead, confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. This morning, is that you? Today, is that you? Am I talking to you today, whether in this room or online? I was you. I was someone who didn't know that I was living for myself, worshiping only myself because I knew no other way. I didn't know that someone loved me enough 
to die in my place and take what I truly deserved. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. If you're here and you're hearing that message, that for all of sin, no one's excluded. The wages of sin is death. That's for all of us. But the gift of God was eternal life. And anyone who trusts that what we just read, you believe that he died in your place, he rose from the, from the dead so that you could live. And all you do is profess him as Lord with your mouth. You claim, I'm not going to live for me, but live for him now. Apart from accepting, asking forgiveness, trusting on him and placing your life in his, submitting to him, you're still dead. Still dead in sin. This is the only way to life. I didn't know that someone loved me enough to take my place. You are now responsible. You are now responsible because you now know. And what you do with that, no one else in here will be held accountable for. You'll stand before the Lord, and he'll hold you accountable. It's appointed once for man to die, Hebrews 9 says, and then the judgment. As the band is coming back, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. This morning, the reason this is good news is because Jesus loved us so much, loved us enough to die so that we wouldn't have to. This morning, I don't know who I'm talking to, but you do. That sense that you feel inside, whether it be in your mind or your heart, that stirring that you feel inside your body right now that keeps telling you, listen up, this is you. That, that voice inside that goes, he loved you enough and this is not a lie. They've tried to make up lies about him. They've tried to disprove this moment, but he rose so that you could raise to new life. You can have a new start today. It can be all new. Everything in the past can be wiped away, cast as far as the east is from the west. Romans 8 said, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you today need a new start? Because of what Jesus did, you can have new life. Here's what I want to do. As the church is praying, in a moment we're going to celebrate. Whether you're online or in this room, I'm going to help you. Just like someone took the time to help me. I'm going to teach you some words of response. There's nothing magic about these words. This, these words are not even found in the scriptures. It's just an honest response to God and what he's done in Jesus. It's how we show that we trust we ask forgiveness, and we, we repent. We turn from living for ourselves to live for him. So if you're online and you pray this with me, I want you to email me, prayerthefellowship.cc. I'd love to talk with you about next steps. But if you're in this room, I'll be right over here to my left, your right. I'd love to talk to you today. Let's not go another day. On Easter, it could be the day of your salvation. Church, you pray. For those who need to respond to him right now for salvation, because he loved you. In him, he emptied everything so that you could have full life. Pray with me. It sounds like this. It says, Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to die in my place. I come to you today a sinner in need of your grace. I have lived for me, I've grieved your heart, and I'm sorry. I no longer want to do that. 
I want a new life. I know that I deserve death, but trust that you died and rose again to save me. So I repent. I'm going to stop living for me. I trust you. I'm going to surrender to you. Today, I ask your Holy Spirit to come into my life. Be my Lord forever. Today, please save me in your holy name. Amen. Father, for anyone who just prayed that prayer, I pray that you would give them the strength to share with myself, one of the other staff, whether email me, because God, without your sovereign plan of putting someone in my life to walk with me and teach me and to show me, I would not be here today. I wouldn't know the truth, but thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did, and thank you for loving me to even put someone in my way to represent you. Today, we celebrate you. We celebrate that the tomb is empty and that we have life and in life and you and you alone. I thank you that you loved us and under your love for the Father and his worship unto him, you came that we might be redeemed to him and know the love that caused you to sweat drops of blood just thinking about being without it for three days. Father, I'm so grateful. We're gonna celebrate for all time in your presence the name of our King Jesus who has been given all authority. It's in his name today we pray, amen.